0: but how often do we live as if we're someone God never meant for us to be? Part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Hence the name, The Burt Not Ernie Show. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into God's promises. Well, hey there and hello to you today. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving that you were able to spend time resting and relaxing, but also able to spend time with your loved ones and people that you hold near and dear. And of course, that you have the chance to express your thankfulness, your gratitude for all that God has done and all that God is going to continue to do in your life. Thanksgiving is truly a time to pause and express our thanks to the one who deserves all praise and all glory, the Lord God most high who loves us and has done so much for each and every one of us. He's good, and he acts out of his loving kindness toward his children. That is something that we should never, ever stop being thankful for. I really do believe that as Christians, we ought to be the most thankful people on this planet. Thanksgiving is a time to express that thankfulness in all sorts of ways. I do hope that your Thanksgiving celebration was truly wonderful and blessed. I am thankful for you. You're listening to the Burt Not Ernie Show podcast, part of the Spark Network, now playing in the Edify app. Today's episode is sponsored by Fig Tree Books and More, located in Branson. If you're planning a trip to the Branson area at any point in the future, I hope you get the chance to swing by Fig Tree Books. You won't regret it. That much I can promise you. It's more than just a bookstore. It's like an experience with some of the most rock-solid, Jesus-loving believers that I have ever met. I'll have the link to their Instagram here in the show notes, as well as a link that gives you their exact address in Branson, Fig Tree Books, and more. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the work that you're doing for the kingdom, for every prayer that you pray with your customers, for every product selection you make with such care. It's a prayed-over environment And that's what I mean when I say it's an experience. It's not just walking into like a Barnes and Noble type setting. This is an experience that if you are a Christian and you are in Branson, I want you to take advantage of this. Thank you. Thank you for reaching your community in Branson and for being a haven for those who are visiting the area. May the Lord bless you and the work of your hands in ways beyond your wildest imagination. I am so thankful for the work that you're you're doing, Fig Tree Books and more. This is episode number 167, and today we're looking at the book of Ezra. Okay, I'm going to be in the Amplified Bible today. Uh, So every verse I reference, I'm reading from the Amplified. I'm going to read just a couple of verses from Ezra chapter 7. Verses 9b, the second half of verse 9, and then verse 10. Here's what they say. Because the good hand of his God was on him, for Ezra had set his heart, resolved to study and interpret the law that the Lord had given to Moses and to practice it and teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now, the law, the Lord, that the Lord had given, that means the first five books of the Bible. Okay, so that is what Ezra had Set his heart and resolve to study and to interpret and to practice it and to teach it to whomever in Israel that would would heed it, that would listen. Okay, so there's something here I want to mention as a quick aside before we dive into the promise part of this. If you study the word of God with a heart that is resolved, like you've set your heart on, you want to know and understand God better, the Lord better. You want to yield to the Holy Spirit more and more. You want to know more about the one with whom you're going to spend eternity. And so you resolve. Your heart is set on studying the word of God and interpreting it. Not just like I kind of sort of know it. I can quote it from memory, but I don't really know how to apply it to my life or yours. I don't I don't pray the word of God. I don't. You get what I'm saying here? Like study it and interpret it because like it or not, as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, which is what we are. We need to be able to interpret the word of God to others, right? Because we're from another place. This is not our home. We're ambassadors. We're here as pilgrims. This isn't where we dwell, even though it feels very much like we dwell here. We don't really. Heaven is our home. We are only really at home when we are with the Lord. So look, here's the deal. We are going to be as ambassadors called to be interpreters. There are people around us who do not speak the language of heaven, if you would. You and I speak it. If we study our Bibles with a heart to know our God better, why would you not want to know him better? You're going to be with him forever. Of course, you want to take every opportunity to get to know him better and better. Also, to interpret it. So you're studying it to change your life by means of asking the Holy Spirit and expecting him to apply it to your life and to change what needs changing, to fix what needs fixing, to convict where conviction needs to come. All those things, but also to interpret it, to speak the language of heaven to the people of earth by means of like interpreting it, right? And practicing it because if you're not practicing it, man, oh man, that's hypocritical. And that's not who we want to be. We are not whitewashed tombs. We want to be all in with Jesus and then to teach it to those to whom God calls you to teach it. If you are parents, you are called as Christian parents to teach the word of God to your children, Boom. Right there. If you are, um, you know, I don't know if you have aging parents, you can you can show them the love of Jesus by the way that you serve them. I could go on and on with all kinds of examples. uh, But Ezra was called to teach the statues and ordinances of the word of God to Israel in Israel. He couldn't do it if he if he remained in the place where he was. We're going to get to that captivity in Babylon. He, ha- he can't teach it in 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 Israel if you are out 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 of Israel. So that's important to know. Where are you supposed to be, and are you there? And this does not necessarily mean a geographical change. It could mean it kind of gets your head on straight, make a heart adjustment and attitude adjustment if you need to, and be all in. Where God has you, it's really important to do that. Where are you called to teach and interpret the word of God? And are you studying the word of God with enough seriousness to actually do what God has called you to do, to be equipped and ready to do the teaching, the interpreting when he calls you to it? And are you practicing it in your own life? Is it more than surface level and skin deep? Is it like changing you in your inner being? So Ezra lived in captivity in Babylon. Think about, you know, the book of Daniel in the Bible, his life in Babylon. Think about Nehemiah, his calling to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. You're you're in that same era as Ezra. This is the end of the season of Israel's captivity under Babylonian rule. Ezra was living at this time. Daniel, Nehemiah, okay, you get the picture, right? You got it like placed on your little timeline in your mind. He left Babylon and he traveled for A minute, you know, like for months to get to Israel. When I say a minute, I mean a minute. Like it's a minute. He traveled for months to get to Israel. I find this in verse nine of Ezra chapter seven months of travel. What do we do for months and months on end? Like what's worth that kind of a commitment to us? Now, granted, this was going to be the norm in Ezra's day travel from Iraq, which is modern day Babylon. To Israel, it just took that long. That's just how long it took. And it just doesn't take that long for us today to travel geographically a certain number of miles. But it is worth thinking about this idea of what is worth a long journey for us. What are you willing to make a journey for? Have you considered as of late that you're on a long journey? Maybe you haven't thought about that in a while. You're on a long journey, a journey home. You are journeying home to eternity with Jesus. You're on a long trek. You are a pilgrim. You're on your way to your final destination, but you're not there yet. We as Christians are, in a way, sort of like Ezra. And the destination is more than worth the long, hard road that we walk to get there. It might be an arduous journey. It's worth it. When the temple was rebuilt at the end of this time of captivity, which we can read about in Ezra chapter six, just backing up one chapter, the temple was completed and it was dedicated and Passover was observed in the homeland of the Jewish people once again. Think about that. That's pretty awesome. I mean, I cannot imagine the rejoicing and celebration of those people to celebrate Passover with the completed temple that had been dedicated to the Lord in their homeland after 70 years of captivity. Then we move into chapter seven, and we see Ezra making the journey to Jerusalem. Okay, that's where we step into the next portion of um, of this of this passage. Okay, like the promise from these verses that I read earlier. Think about the hinge on this, right? This is a there's great celebration; they're back home, and now what's the promise, right? Because when I read them, you might have thought I don't really hear. promise there i don't like when you talk about that word will in a promise jan i didn't hear that there what's the actual promise you kind of just i don't know i don't get it the promise is that when we as god's people who bear his name when we have the good hand of our god on us okay because that's what it says in uh, verse 9 the good hand of the lord was on ezra when we have the good hand of god on us we're able to do hard things big things for his kingdom and for his purposes you know, contrast that with when we read about the Bible, the heavy hand of the Lord was on these certain people at any given time. This is the good hand of our God, not the heavy hand of God. There's a difference. Ezra had the good hand of his God upon him. He had set his heart to study and interpret the law, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, the Torah. How about us? Are we set like that? Do we have our heart set on studying the Bible? It's pretty easy to answer that question it's yes or no there's really no middle ground well maybe someday I'll get around to no no I'm not asking if you're gonna get around to it I'm not asking if it's on your your list for 2024 to do better at Bible study I'm not asking that I'm asking is your heart set on studying it yes or no is your heart resolved to study the Word of God yes or no this question begs an answer an immediate answer and an honest answer Is my heart set on studying God's word? Yes or no. Can you and I be brave enough to answer this question honestly, to honestly answer it? And then can we be brave enough to ask the Lord to make our hearts set upon it? If the answer is no, if the answer is no, no, I'm not. I don't have my heart set upon that. Can we be brave enough to ask God to turn our heart that way? And if the answer is yes, can we say, Lord, make me even more set upon studying your word? I'm not bagging on anybody. The first person that I am evaluating per this standard is me. Actually, the only person I am evaluating as I, as I pose this question is me. I'm not thinking about anybody else. There is nobody that's like on my radar. This is not a dig at anybody. I am asking this of myself only and sharing with you what the Lord was speaking to me about as I read this chapter, or these few chapters in the book of Ezra, the few chapters that I was reading that the Lord really impressed upon my heart for this episode of the podcast as part of the Every Book of Promise series. I am being brave enough to say I want to want to know the word of God more in the coming months than I ever have before, because I'm getting closer to meeting the Lord. We all are. And I want to be ready when I meet him. And I don't want to waste time if i'm honest this world is full of time sucks and i'm kind of tired of them anybody else want to raise their hand i'm just kind of weary of the time sucks of this life just want to know the lord better and better and better and then from there i could do what he calls me to do out of that like foundational seat that place of knowing him really really well not just knowing his word to recite it to thump somebody over the head with it um, to, uh, you know, for whatever other reason there might be like, you know, that where it's like, I know the word, but I'm not like really getting changed by it. I'm checking off the checklist kind of a thing, but I'm not changed by it. I want to be ready that if God says, Hey, over here, can you be an ambassador to them? And can you interpret to this person what I meant in this passage? Because they're, they're seeking and they're searching and I'm sending you, I want to be ready for that. An honest and introspective answer is good for us to give to this question. Because, look, Jesus held nothing back to save us from death and hell, and he's worth everything. And so we want to answer this question, is my heart set on this, yes or no, honestly, and then ask him to change it if it needs to be changed. Because our heart set on knowing him better and better day by day as a result of studying the Bible is the least that we can do for somebody who gave all it's like, yeah, I'll take your giving all, your very life. I'll take it. I'll take it. I've got my fire insurance. And yeah, I want forgiveness for my sins. And yeah, I want to spend time in eternity. But um, yeah, you know what I really don't want? I don't really want to have to spend much of my time studying the Bible or sharing about Jesus with other people. That's not right. You and I both know that's not right. So a good answer to this question can say to Jesus thank you that I was worth everything to you and I'm willing to give my everything for you because you're worth it. It's a, it's a hard calling this Christian life. If somebody told you it's easy peasy lemon squeezy and there's no sacrifice to be made, it's just all good for you and the road will be level before you always. And things just going to be easy street. They didn't tell you the truth. The truth is it's a continual choice to fully give more and more and more of our heart and our mind and our soul to him so that we can honor him with everything that we've got. The Amplified version of this passage says resolved. Ezra had set his heart. He had resolved to study and interpret the law of the Lord. How resolved are we in our study of God's word? Does our Netflix binging get in the way? And I'm putting that in quotes with my little fingers as I speak, get in the way of studying God's word? Sleeping in, hitting the snooze, does that get in the way? What gets in the way of our study of God's word? Are we resolved? Are we resolved in a way that honors the Lord? Ezra made this long journey to a place that had been decimated and just like trashed during this terrible exile season in Israel's history. And at this time, at this time, things were on the uptick, right? Like this restoration happening, the Passover had been celebrated, things were on the uptick. So he's gone back home, but to a home that had been broken down. And he was going to be alongside a people who had also been broken down. They've been through a lot during this very difficult and dark season. Sometimes the journey we make in life is going to be alongside those who've also been broken down. You might be like, man, I need strong people around me because I'm feeling broken down. And God may be like, well, you're over here with these other people who've been broken down and you guys are going to encourage each other. They're going to encourage you. You're going to encourage them. Uh, that means you, you stick with them when it's tough and you rejoice with them when the, the beautiful blessings are there. Sometimes our journey is made alongside other people who are kind of broken down or who have been broken down. Maybe... They're healed in an area we're not yet, and we're healed in an area that they're not yet. Isn't that complimentary and just really lovely and God honoring to do life like that? You know, we want the strong leaders to lead us, don't we? It's the American way. I think that when we are strong in the Holy Spirit, when we're weak and God is able to be strong in us and through us, that's good strength. That's good strength. That's not showmanship. It's dependence on the Lord. It glorifies Him. It doesn't always look so pretty, though. It doesn't always look polished. It doesn't look like the people who sell us the courses or on the book covers or or give TEDx talks or, or whatnot. It doesn't always look so pretty and neat and tidy and polished in the way that the world says our leadership ought to look. Looks don't seem to matter as much to God as they do to man, to you and to me, to the people around us. Good leadership that is chosen. And appointed by God, it may not look shiny and lovely. Good leadership may be the guy next to you who's walking the same path that you're walking. He's answered God's call to leadership, but he's still walking the path with you. The difference is he's just answered the call. It doesn't mean he thinks he's better than you. It doesn't mean he's like, I've got 10 steps to a perfect life. It just means I'm going to do what you say, Lord, even though I'm I'm still walking through some stuff. I'm not all the way there. But you called me to this leadership role in your kingdom, so I'm going to do it. That's what good leadership might actually be. Because when God shows up strong in people who really are pretty weak, it's really a beautiful thing to see. It may be the lady who's just a few steps beyond you on the road of life. She's far from perfect. She's got her hair in that messy bun or a banana clip, right? And uh, I miss banana clips. I want them back. Uh, She may be walking with a limp. Like I'm being serious here, but she's going where God says to go. She's following his leading as she obeys his call to lead others. Her limp may be physical. It may be spiritual. Only her closest inner circle might even know about the limp she's walking with. But man, she's just following after the Lord, limp or not. It might be painful with every step, but she's doing it because As Peter said, to whom else is she going to go when Jesus holds the keys to life? Yep, sticking with him. She's just obeying. Even with her limp, even with her messy bun, she's just obeying the Lord. You want leaders who are good followers. You want leaders who follow Jesus closely and who obey him quickly and immediately. Because otherwise, honestly, they're not fit to lead anybody. And they know it. Good leaders know that they're not fit to lead anybody if they're not a good follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. What might happen if that kind of leadership became what we as the church look for? Rather than wanting only polished leaders who quite honestly just look like the world, act like the world, who maybe are interested in running the church like a business. It's not a business, my friend. It's Jesus's church. We don't want the church to look just like the world because Jesus said, that we're not of this world. This world is not our home. He made it very clear. You could just read through uh, all of the gospel of John and see that he made it clear that we just are not photocopies of the world. We want to be different, a peculiar people. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. We want to be what Jesus wants us to be. Do you think that the church might be appealing to hurting people in ways that maybe? has not necessarily always been, maybe over the last several decades, if if it was like different from the world. I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing here, but it might be. I have been young and now I'm getting older and I've seen both kinds of leaders and I know which kind have impacted me the most with the things of the Lord. It's not the ones who are perfectly polished and every social media post is just, man, look at this. Don't you wish you had my life kind of a thing? Like it's not social media perfection. Those are not the ones who made the real impact. The ones who made the impact are the ones who really were just a few steps ahead. They were willing to serve the Lord, even walking with that limp. They've been through some stuff in life. They just kept on loving, serving, trusting, following, obeying, honoring God with the whole of the messed up, messy life. And they loved him so much that they weren't going to not obey him. And you know what? His strength was shown through their weakness. That is the kind of leadership that changed my life. And I bet it's probably the kind of leadership that has impacted yours the most. Ezra may have been somewhat weary before his journey even got started. Anybody else ever feel like that? Lord, I'm just so tired. I'm so tired from this. And now you're asking me to start this next leg of my race when I'm just feeling so weary and exhausted. Sometimes that's just how it goes. I'm not against rest, not at all, especially not like, you know, Sabbath rest. I mean, that's, I'm not, and by that I mean like what's really going to rejuvenate you, what kind of rest that that the Lord has for you is really going to impact your life true sabbath rest not maybe the world's rest it may not be like a massage um and some people like oh i just need to have you know mommy needs her wine or she can't get through the day is that actual jesus-led rest spirit-led rest i don't know like i'm talking about sabbath rest i'm not against that resting in jesus even while you're walking the path that he's called you to you still are sure to have that sabbath rest i am so for that all day long how many Bible characters, though, were totally ready for the task that God called them to? Did they get to say, I just need some more rest? God would give them rest. We see that, say, in the life of Elijah. Um, you know, that's That's a given. But they didn't get to, like, pick and choose their calling, per se. You know, they just went all in with him. I'm tired and I'm weary, but I believe you're going to give me rest along the way as I walk with you. That's the safest place to be. I'm just going to obey you. I don't really quite feel ready for this next leg in my journey, but here we go. Anybody else ever find those things happening in life and you have to choose in those moments? What's it going to be? What's it going to be? My way where I kick and scream and have a temper fit and I just want to rest. I don't want the next leg to start yet. Or I love you so much, Jesus. I'm going to walk this with you. I'm weary, but you make me strong. You equip me. You do your work through me. Boy, does he not show up like that? We see that over and over again in our Bibles. Sometimes we just feel weary before the journey begins. You know, Ezra was probably not the only one who was weary as a leader. He probably, you know, we read about several leaders in this era of Israel's history. He probably was dealing with his weariness and also with theirs because leaders do have to deal with issues of the people that they're leading. That's not a bad thing. It can be a hard thing to lead weary people, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, At times, our flesh will cry out for ease. And after a long season of rain by a really brutal oppressor, some happy news may have been pretty appealing to Ezra. But an honest study of the first five books of the Bible, which he was called to study and then called to teach the people of Israel, uh, he wasn't probably naive enough to think that this was just going to be all happy times. He knew there's going to be some conviction that the people were going to be called to take a real hard and honest look in the mirror as a result of him teaching what the Bible said. Weary people can sometimes want an answer and a solution more than they want to be taught. I'm going to say that again. Weary people may want an answer and a solution and a fix more than they want to be taught. And Ezra was called, as it says in verse 10, to teach them what the Bible had to say to them. The point here is that Ezra did not have an easy street assignment. And even when he was weary, he still obeyed. That's the mark of a mature believer. Obedience, just obedience, just obedience. No excuses, no ifs, ands, or buts. Obedience. That marks a true believer. You want to look for somebody, you want to know, identify somebody who's a mature believer. Do they obey the Lord and how quickly? That's just a really super quick way to know like where somebody's at with the Lord. Honestly, like, you know, the Lord told them to do something and you know, whether or not they did it at all or in a timely manner, how quickly, like it's just a mark of a mature believer. It's not our job to, to render judgment, but there's nothing wrong with noticing the maturity in other believers. It's a part of discipleship. Because they can disciple us in areas where we need to mature. And so never paying attention to anything under the guise of, I don't want to be judgy, is maybe not good. We probably need to be discipled by people who are mature. And so we have to be willing to kind of judge the fruit of their life in a way, as Paul said, and make note of where they're at on the maturity scale. Okay, so Ezra would have been a mature believer. I really do think we see that. He had a tough role to play, but he did it. Do you and I really want the good hand of God on our lives? Do we really? Verse 25 tells us that Ezra was tasked with appointing magistrates and judges in accordance with God's wisdom and instruction. He was to appoint those who knew the laws of God, and he was told to teach anyone who did not know God's law. Big job. He was tasked with a big job there. If hard times come, and I mean hard, hard times. Not so, so hard times, not I'm annoyed hard times, but hard, hard times. If you've been through hard, hard times, you know what I'm talking about. You know the difference. If those times come into your life, do you realize that there may be a special role for you, provided you know the Bible well? I'm serious about this. Do you know any part of your Bible well enough to instruct somebody else about it? Over a cup of coffee, as part of a Bible study group, in a group text you know, the text of a, I don't know, a handful of Christian friends. Do you know a part of your Bible well enough to instruct others about it? If hard times come, there will be people who will want to know more about the Word of God. You and I have the opportunity to learn the Word of God well enough now to be able to instruct them when hard times come, because like it or not, hard times come for us all. And sometimes they come in big, 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 huge, wide, global. Um, sizes think of 2020 and and what the world went through then if you didn't know the word of god well enough to share it with others say via like a start a group on facebook a private group and you just pray for one another or something like that if you didn't know it then you probably weren't going to be able to quick enough to meet the need catch up on knowing the word of god get ready now now's the time to prepare the need may well arise are we ready if it does Because when hard, hard times come, people tend to land in one of two camps. It's really pretty distinct. They either want to know more about God and what the Bible says, how to pray, or they can kind of get hard-hearted and they want to shut God out while also kind of blaming him for everything that's gone wrong. Those that will want to know how to seek the Lord and how to find the Lord in the hard, hard times, They might need somebody to show them the way, to explain parts of the Bible to them, to pray with them. Could that someone be you? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. If the need arose, I hope you would be ready and prepared and and just equipped to meet the needs of the people around you that God loves so very much. Okay, now these may not seem like promises, these verses I'm sharing today, but they actually are. I mean, can you imagine receiving the call of the Lord to teach people about his word during hard times in a season that could be considered the tail end of a long spiritual famine. And that kind of could have been the case here at the the end of this time of exile, what we're reading about in Ezra's life, the end of a long spiritual famine. Church attendance in the United States post-COVID has dropped and remained below 50% for the first time since they've been keeping track of church attendance. It's below that, and it's staying below 50%. How's that for the mark of a spiritual famine? I think we're in one here in the U.S. It's also a bit of an indictment on us as a so-called Christian nation. Like, do you get to call yourself a Christian nation anymore when half of the population doesn't go to church at all? I don't know. You know, where are you and I going to land in this post-Christian era in which we live? And we are in A post-Christian society. Will we be ready to teach others what the Bible says? Are we going to fail to be ready? Which one? As far as hard times go, the writing is on the wall, if you will. When the people in a nation have turned away from, even turned against, the God of the Bible, the writings on the wall. We know what happened to such nations in the past. We know. We have our Bibles. We know what happened. We know from the book of Revelation what's going to happen to those who deny the Lord God Almighty in the future. We know what will happen. And so we understand that in our day, hard times may come, probably will come sooner rather than later, and the nations that turn against the Lord, we're probably not going to have a different end result than nations in the past or in the future are going to have. We also know that persecution grows Jesus's church. Hard times drive people to their knees in prayer like nothing else. And we have this moment, this era right now, to ready ourselves to serve God in like manner, As Ezra, when those days come to pass, but only if we know his word, if we don't know his word, if we have not studied it, if we're not resolved to set it apart at a high level and study it, to make it a priority and to live it right, to let it like change our lives and then be willing to say what he wants us to say to whom he wants us to say it, to go where he sends us. If we're not ready now, yikes, what happens when those times come? Only if we know his word are we ready. We cannot teach what we do not know. In the new year, I'm planning to start sharing monthly Bible reading plans, uh, maybe some PDF Bible study tools, and do a weekly study of the Psalms in uh, my private prayer group on Facebook. I'm going to work through all 150 Psalms week by week, no matter how long it takes. We're just going to keep trucking away, studying them and praying them. We're going to pray based on what we find in those passages, in all 150 Psalms. These are just a couple of ways that I hope to encourage myself and others to get in the word, to learn it, to live it, to know it well enough to be able to teach it to others. That's kind of what Discipleship 101 is about, Titus 2 ministry in a nutshell, right? And on my other podcast, the prayer podcast, this week I'm going to share and pray from Ezra chapter 8, uh, where there's a prayer for protection that God answered powerfully. So, You can find this in verses 21 through 32 of Ezra 8, if you'd like to read it. A side note, also on the prayer podcast, we're going to get started on a new series based on the New Testament book of James. It's going to be a good prayer series because the book of James brings life change. Like every single time we read it and apply it, study it and believe it and pray it, pray that what it says will become a reality, life change happens. So I'd love to have you join me for that series on the prayer podcast with Jan Albert now back to when we look at Ezra chapter 8, verse 23, from the Amplified, we find this. So we fasted and sought help from our God concerning this matter, and he heard our plea. And verse 31 says, we set out from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was upon us, and he rescued us from the hand of the enemy and those who lay in ambushes along the way. Does God answer prayer? Yes. Does God still, in our day and age, answer prayer? Yes. Can we really expect him to help us? Yes. Can we talk to him about anything and everything, specific matters that concern us, not just high and lofty, uh, large and and quote-unquote worthy things to pray about? Yes, yes, we can. Can we do what he is calling us to do and make the impact that he wants us to make, or rather allow him to make the impact he wants to make through us? Yes. Can we get to our destination safely, protected from marauders, fully able to do what comes next once we get to that place? Yes. Can we ask him to see us safely all the way home? Yes, absolutely. Yes. More than just a single promise from the book of Ezra. As I prepared for this episode, I really have seen that the whole book of Ezra, all of it, the whole book is God's promises being fulfilled. It's proof positive. That God keeps his promises, every single one, in perfect detail. It's also a call to be reconciled to God. Our reconciliation with God should lead us to trust him more. If it doesn't, are we really reconciled? I cannot say that I'm fully reconciled with someone if I do not trust them. The two go together. Be reconciled to God and trust him completely. Pray to him and listen for his answers to your prayers. Be like Ezra. That's all for this episode of the Burt Knot Ernie show. And thank you so much for joining me today. Don't forget to check out Fig Tree Books and more when you're in the Branson area. Links are in the show notes. And thank you again to them for sponsoring this episode. I'll see you next time. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.